Well, good morning. If you go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, uh, last week was one of the most memorable and humbling moments that uh, I can recall as a pastor. It was humbling because of that moment whenever I asked the congregation, how many of you need a new roof? And nearly every hand in the room went up in virtually every service. And then whenever I continued to press and say, how many of you need new cars? And hands continued to shoot up. And even whenever we said, how many of you are out of your homes? Hands continued to go up. And yet it was also very memorable because despite demolished cars and holes in the middle of your house, even as water was leaking in our own church, we were here gathered to worship our Lord. And it was really memorable to see people that were going through a difficult time just get caught up in the worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable if you think about it. We've had two massive hailstorms in less than a month. The first one came through. It hit Murphy pretty hard. and We were like, wow, that was awful. And then We hadn't seen anything yet whenever the second one came through and just literally demolished East Wiley. And it was not long ago on December 26 when we were huddled in our bathrooms and closets as an EF4 tornado ripped through Garland and Rowlett. These are the communities where many of us live. And today I want to begin a new series. It's entitled The Opportunity of adversity. We'll be in this series for a few weeks. It won't be a real long series, but we're going to be looking at Romans 8 today, and then we'll be looking at some various Old Testament uh, characters who went through times of adversity and see how these principles that we talk about today applied in their lives as well. And I want to call your attention to verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Now keep your Bibles open to Romans 8 because we're going to be looking at other verses within that chapter throughout the message today. Now I want you to notice something in this popular verse, Romans 8, 28. The Bible doesn't say that all things are good. There is such a thing as evil. There is such a thing as sin, there is suffering in this world and injustice. It's easy sometimes for Christians to kind of tip into what is more of a Hindu philosophy that says that suffering is not real, but it is a mere illusion. In our Christian theology, we understand that there is such a thing as evil, there is such a thing as sin, but in every adversity that we go through, there is always opportunity. Reflecting on the events of the past few weeks and months, I jotted down three ideas about God's plan and adversity. The first one is this, God liberates what He creates. So let me say it a little differently. God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. Secondly, God's plan is more immense than what I can sense. And thirdly, God's plan vindicates what He dictates. Let me say those again. 
God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. God's plan is more immense than what I can sense. And God's plan vindicates what He dictates. Now, I must confess to you that I have a weakness that is a very redneck weakness of mine. Uh, I love beef jerky. Feels good just to have confessed it. But if we uh, take a trip to East Texas, you can guarantee that we will stop at Bucky's. And uh, I'll come out of Bucky's with a pound of beef jerky and a Davy Crockett hat and a sudden inability to pronounce my vowels because I, I enjoy beef jerky. Well, adversity brings with it a lot of what I call beef jerky questions. These are big questions that you have to chew on for a while. And whenever you begin to hear the answers, you have to kind of break it down. You have to kind of chew through the answers because uh, there are no easy answers to some of the difficult things that we go through. And adversity produces questions like, why does evil exist? And what does God do about evil? Well, I want you to understand that God's plan always seeks to liberate what He creates. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you have in the beginning, God created. You drop down to verse 27. The Bible says, so He created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then in verse 31, after the events of creation, the Bible says God saw all that He had made And it was very good. You see, God did not create the world in the state that it is in now. God looked at his original creation and he said to himself, this is good. There was harmony. The lion and the lamb could lay down together. There was life without death. And God and his creation were in perfect fellowship. And the masterpiece of God's creation was man and woman, created in the image of God, innocent in nature, but capable of rebellion. And then, slithering onto the scene, comes evil. And you know the story. Rebelling against God, Adam and Eve sinned. And the peace, the harmony... The goodness of creation was poisoned. And because of that, we live in a world that is broken. Creation is broken. And our world is full of broken dreams, broken hearts, broken lives, broken promises, broken relationships, broken bodies, and broken souls. We live in a world in which everything has been stained by sin. And our relationships with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with the world around us has been broken by sin. But God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. And so our Heavenly Father sent His Son, and His Son lived the life that You and I could not live. His Son died in our place upon the cross, and His Son 
overcame death through his resurrection. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 8 says, Because of the Son, ultimately, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those that are in Christ Jesus. You see, whenever I repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual activity that occurs as the Holy Spirit baptizes me in Christ. Positionally, I am immersed in Christ so that God now sees me in His Son. And in His Son, there is no condemnation. Verse 2 says, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Life in Christ Jesus is a liberated life. If you don't believe me, read Galatians sometimes. It set you free from the law of sin and of death. In Christ Jesus, we have been liberated, set free from the law of sin and death. And verse 4 says that we are called now to walk according to the Spirit of God. The Spirit baptizes us in Christ, indwells us, and then guides us to walk according to the Spirit of God. Now, here's the problem. Jesus' death and resurrection has brought freedom to our souls so that we can now live in the Spirit, but we must wait until He returns for Him to bring freedom to His creation. And so even though I have been saved and my soul has been redeemed and my future is in heaven and I belong to God and I am His child for all eternity, I still live in a body that has a sin nature in a world that is depraved with sin. So verse 18 describes this in Romans 8. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be Revealed to us, now notice this in verse 19, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. (laughs) The imagery of verse 22. Picture yourself in the labor and delivery room. I've been there recently. And so I can relate to verse 22. No, I was not pregnant. My wife was, okay? Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Creation itself longing for the day when it is set free and the shalom that was broken in Eden would be restored. And as you read the Scriptures, you begin to see that God's plan seeks to liberate that which He creates. And God's plan is more immense than what I can sense. And God's plan vindicates what He dictates. Now, I know it's early in the morning still, but think theologically with me for just a few moments. 
God is perfect, and He is sovereign. That means He reigns. He's in control. He's got. A, he has authority over all. So, either He allows or dictates all that happens, and all He allows are causes must be within the authority of an all-powerful, entirely good, and loving God. Therefore, when God allows something, His plan is always more immense than what I can sense. And God's plan will always vindicate, show to be true, what He dictates. Much of what God is doing right now in your life, your family, your church, your community, the world around you is beyond your finite ability to see it, hear it, touch it, or control it. One of the most popular tweets of 2012 was John Piper's tweet where he said, God is doing 10,000 things at any given moment, and you may be aware of three of them. In every adversity, there is always opportunity for me to grow closer to God and closer to others. And beyond what I can sense, beyond what I can see, feel, touch, hear, God is at work, and where He is working, there is always opportunities to grow closer to Him and closer to others. Think about all the opportunities this hailstorm has brought us. Because of the hailstorm, we now have an opportunity to love our neighbor. I continue to encourage you. Go around your street, ask your neighbors how they're doing, if there's anything that you can help them with. This is a great opportunity for you to make conversation and learn to love your neighbor. We have the opportunities for communities to come together and help one another as we rebuild. I'm, I'm thankful for First Baptist Church of Wiley and the, uh, the Rebuild Wiley campaign that they and some of the city officials are leading in Wiley. By the way, one of the things that I want to just once again reiterate, the other churches in the area are not our competition. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray for their well-being, and we pray for God's blessings to be upon them. And I want to encourage us as a church, though you may have had a bad experience in another church, though you may not agree entirely with what this church does or this church does, don't be the congregation that goes around and criticizes everybody that's not like us. Okay? There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Number three, we've seen the opportunity to pray for one another. And to take delight in our God being at work. I encourage you to pray for those who have holes in their home. If you have children or grandchildren that are in your life, teach them to pray for other people. Get in your car, drive through East Wiley, look at it. And then take the children home and teach them how to pray for those that are going through difficult times. Number four, we have the opportunity to worship God. In the midst of our trial. 
Five, the opportunity to be thankful for what we have and to realize anew what is really important because the truth is is we can replace roofs and we can uh, get new cars and we can get new carpet, but we cannot replace our loved ones. And I am so thankful that through these storms that we are okay. We have the opportunity to give ourselves to help those among us who are in need. To give of our time, to give of our resources, to give of our monies to help those who need our help. And we have the opportunity to talk to people. And as we talk to them, tell them about the saving love of Jesus Christ. Try this over the next few weeks as you're in this area. Just strike up conversations with people. You say, I'm an introvert. Okay, find an extrovert to do it then. Okay, Strike up conversations with people and say, hey, how did you do in the storm? They'll immediately have an answer. They'll start talking to you. And as you talk to them, there may often be moments where you can talk to them about the saving love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we hear stories about people coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. There are opportunities in adversity that testify that God's plan is always more immense than what I can sense. Now, I have a final question for us, and once we wrestle with this question a little bit, then we'll be through. What's a believer to do while living on the fallen side of eternity? And the answer to that is to realize that God's plan will always vindicate what He dictates. God's plan will always prove true what He has commanded, what He has said. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 8 says, So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, I want you to note four things here about living on the fallen side of eternity. I could spend a long time just in this passage of Scripture, but four things here. The first is that verses 12 through 13 remind me to live by the Spirit. As Baptists, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, we, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a junior executive in the Trinity. He is fully God. And we believe that we must live by the Holy Spirit of God and awaken ourselves, or God awakens us through the Spirit so that we can see things and understand things through a spiritual lens. You remember that passage, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 
I think often the wisdom that God gives us is that spiritual mindset so that we're capable through the Spirit of seeing things not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. We're capable of seeing things from God's perspective and having a godly wisdom upon the situations around us. You and I are called to walk and to live by the Spirit and not by flesh. Now, if you look at verse 15, we are reminded that we are to go forward in faith rather than backwards in fear. God doesn't create you. God doesn't redeem you to spend your whole life living in fear. Oh, I just hope that I survive. I hope that I'm okay. Here, Go forward in faith. He will take care of you. Don't retreat back to Egypt. Continue going forward to the promised land. Thirdly, verses 18 through 20, remind me to live with anticipation of Christ's return. There is coming a day when Christ will return. And the bondage that creation is within, creation will be set free. There is coming a day when we will see Him in His glory. There is coming a day when the injustices will be made right. And then verses 28 through 30 remind me to trust in God's sovereignty. We read verse 28 earlier, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. And normally we stop the t-shirt right there. But verse 29 says, for those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Long before you were ever born, God knew you. He knows you in your past. He knows you in your present. He knows you in your future. And God also has a predestined plan for your life and mine. Ultimately, the passage says that those of us who are believers, those that He foreknew have been predestined to what? Be conformed to the image of His Son. And then we realize that He's also called us to Himself. He has justified us in Christ, and He has also glorified us through Christ. Our place in heaven has already been secured because we are in Christ. But wait, there's more. It gets better. Here's the conclusion of all this. What then are we to say about these things, verse 31 asks. What should we say about all the goodness that is in our Lord? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Verse 35, there's a very pointed question. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can anguish, affliction, persecution, or famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, verse 37 says, in all these things, we are more than victorious 
through him who loved us. I don't miss the conclusion. For I am persuaded that not even death or life or angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. The musicians are going to come and we're going to have our time of commitment. If today needs to be a day of salvation in your life, I want to talk to you. If God's been working in your life and he's brought you to that point where um, you desire to become a believer in Jesus Christ, I'll be here at the front. I'll be here after the service as well. I would like to talk to you about how you can make that decision in your life today. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, it is always my joy to do so. The musicians are going to lead us in this hymn, and I encourage you to sing out. It may be that you feel the need to pray, and so as others are singing, you'll, uh, you can be seated at your seat and pray. You can come forward and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you, Lord, that in Christ nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, even though many of us have been through some adversity, I pray that we might also see the opportunity And to realize that your plan is always more immense than what we can sense. That you are doing things around us. And that we have the joy of being part of what you're doing. And so I pray that our lives might be connected to eternity's plan. I pray, Father, that we might rest in you. I pray, Father, that we might gain new perspective and new strength. And Lord, may you use our one and only life to bring glory to your name. Pray for those that are hurting today that you might bring them comfort. I pray for those that are lonely that you will bring them love. I pray, Father, for those that are ill that they will receive healing. I pray, Lord, that what we have seen in your word today might plant itself deeply within our hearts and change us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship.